The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Have your Bibles with you this morning. I encourage you to get those out. We're going to be in Psalm 32. will be our main focus today. Psalm 32, as we approach the Psalms, I think it's something that is good for us to think about. Every time we're in a Psalm, every time you're reading a Psalm, is that this would be a song that our Savior sung. It would be something that he knows. It would be something that was probably memorized by him for sure. Uh, this would be their hymnal, what they were reading, what they were, were singing. It's always interesting to read a Psalm in light of that, knowing that our Savior would, would sing these And what he would think, I wonder, as he would sing these to know that he fulfilled these completely. One of the things that we've been doing in our services for a little while now that might be a little weird or different, but there's a reason for it, and I want to share that with you today, is we normally have a little time of confession where we talk about sin, we talk about our sin, and we try to remind ourselves that we are sinners and that we need to confess we need to confess our sin uh, to the Lord. I think that's very important for us to do. I think it's something that we should be practicing on a regular basis as Christians, and the psalm will speak to that. But in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, I, I want to read this parable. It's a parable you, you might know, you might have heard, uh, but it kind of helps, I think, maybe for us to understand why we do this, why we do the confession. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the things that unites us as we gather in this room together is we gather in this room as sinners. We oftentimes as Christians have the sin in our life to where we like to look outside of these walls and we like to say to those people that we are better than them that we are more just than them, that we are, uh, you know, whatever it may be, we are more moral than them. But I hope that we all understand something, that we are still sinners, just like they are. They are sinners. The only difference between a Christian and somebody who's not a Christian is salvation through the blood of Christ. Nothing I did, nothing you did to earn that, It's what he did. And so we are still called together to confess. This psalm that we will be studying today, Psalm 32, is one of the seven seven psalms of confession that we see in the book of Psalms. We already looked at one. Pastor Spencer preached it, Psalm 51. And this is another one, Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 actually go together. Most people will say, that these were written during the same time period, during David faced the same thing in his life, uh, his sin with Bathsheba and him actually murdering Uriah. There's some people who would uh, doubt that, but for the most part, historically, this, this is what people would say, commentators would say. David had sinned, and now he finds himself to be guilty, 
and he finds himself crying out to God for his sin. Now, Psalm 51, if you were here a few weeks ago and Pastor Spencer preached that, you'll notice that it's almost more emotional, I dare say. It seems as if he wrote Psalm 51 maybe in the midst of that struggle or maybe very soon after. And we see him crying out to God for forgiveness. We see him feeling crushed for his sin. In Psalm 51, we see him feeling guilt and shame because of his sin. But as we get to Psalm 32, there seems to be a little different tone. It seems as if uh, David has written this maybe a little time after the ordeal, maybe some time to look back and to process the whole thing and the whole situation. That's what it seems, at least to me, as I read this. And so as we look at Psalm 32, I want us to be thinking about that, because today what we're going to see together, I hope it's a good service for you. I hope that the, God's word rings true to you this morning, because what we're going to see is we're going to see the beauty of forgiveness in this psalm, the real true beauty of forgiveness and the true joy that it alone can bring to a person, to an individual. So look at Psalm 32 with me. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll break it up into sections and go through it together. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In verses one and two, what we see David writing is we see him talking about the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing here of forgiveness. You remember in Psalm one, we often refer to that when we're talking about the Psalm because it so often connects for Psalm one and Psalm two as well. But in Psalm one, we see that the blessed man is the righteous man. It says that it says blessed is the, is the righteous man. And you remember last week, we talked about this a little as we looked at the 52nd Psalm. The problem with Psalm one is when we read Psalm 1, we hopefully realize this isn't talking about me. I'm not the righteous man because I, I, I stand with sinners often. I often sit in that seat of the scornful that I should not sit in. You know, oftentimes I feel dried and, and withered because of my sin or because of my unrighteousness. But we realize and we, we notice that Jesus is the one who is the Psalm 1 righteous man. And as we talked about last week, we are given his righteousness. We have that through his salvation, through his forgiveness. And so only Jesus can be called this righteous man. But here in Psalm 32, it says, blessed is the one, not the righteous, but whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see, unable to be righteous on our own, we must be forgiven of our sin in order to be blessed. 
in order to understand this blessing. And this is what David realizes here. He realizes the blessing of being truly forgiven by God. In the ESV, the, the, the translation that I'm reading, it says sin is covered, whose sin is covered. Now we have the privilege of living in the time frame that we do, knowing that Jesus has come and has fulfilled all of this. We know that the only way our sins can be forgiven, that our sins can be covered, is it can only be covered through the blood of Christ. It's, that is the only way that sin can be forgiven. We have sinned against God, and so it is only God then who can give us that forgiveness of our sin. And it's done through the blood of Christ. As David goes on in verse two here, he says, saying that the man who has no iniquity against the Lord is blessed. So again, we see another, another blessing, right? Another blessed. Well, here, iniquity is talking about our original sin, the sin that we have because of Adam, that mankind has. As Adam first sinned, we have the sin. But what David is saying is, blessed is the man who no longer bears this who no longer bears this burden, who no longer bears this shame. It's interesting, we were supposed to read this verse a little earlier, we didn't. But in Romans chapter four, I think verses four through eight, you can look at that on your own. Paul actually quotes this psalm here. And he quotes this psalm here in Romans chapter four in talking about and in showing and improving how Abraham and how also David were justified by faith apart from works. It wasn't about what they had done. It was about faith. It was about what God had done. And so the apostle Paul quotes this exact, these exact verses right here to show, see, even David himself wasn't righteous enough to earn it on his own. No, it was because of God. It was the work of God in his life that saved David, that justified David. And so forgiveness of sins has always and always will be needed for justification. Always. That is how it has been in scripture for all along and always will be. We just simply cannot find this forgiveness on our own. It cannot be done. And as we read further in this psalm, you will see, hopefully, along with me, that David learned this the hard way. And I dare say, some of you are learning it the hard way as well. And I think you might find yourself in the same situation that David had found himself in. Because in verses three and four is a difficult place to be. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David learned the hard lesson of hiding his sin from God. And it's a tough spot to be in when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have sinned, you know you are guilty of sin, but it's just the simple fact that you do not want to confess your sin. You do not want to deal with it. Maybe it's because you enjoy it. You're just not ready to give it up. Maybe you're just embarrassed. Who knows what it might be? But I think we understand this feeling that David is talking about. The first way he would describe it is he says, I feel like my bones are wasting away within me. That my, that my bones aren't even working. I, I feel completely wasted away. When I read this, my mind quickly goes to Ezekiel 37 in the valley of dry bones when God would call Ezekiel to this valley and he's going to make an army for Ezekiel and it's out of bones, nothing, out of, out of people who've just been completely wasted away. But yet we see in Ezekiel that God is able to start putting flesh on those bones and give life to those dry bones. 
But my mind goes to that when I read David say this. My bones feel, feel wasted away as I live in my sin, as I struggle with my sin on my own. I feel as if I'm just going to blow away in the wind. Again, my mind can't help but go to Psalm 1. As sinners, we are like shaft that just blows away in the wind. We're not like that tree planted by the river that continues to produce, that continues to feel nourished. No, as we, as we sin and as we live in that sin, we feel like we're just, just wasting away. Like our bones are becoming brittle. David would go on after saying his bones wasted away. He says, I groan all day long. Can you imagine? I, I mean, I, I think you can, because I think we've been here before. Hopefully, I imagine where just every second of every day, our mind is confronted with the sin that we're guilty of. We can't seem to shake it. We can't seem to get away from it. Everything we see reminds us of it. Everything we hear reminds us of it. If we even read God's word, it's what we're thinking about the whole time we're reading God's word. And we might even get through a few chapters and we think, I don't even know what I read because all I've been thinking about the whole time is my sin. All I've been thinking about is how I shouldn't even be able to read this book. I shouldn't even be approaching this thing. And so all day long, it seems to be nagging in our mind, no matter what we do, no matter if we leave it alone, it still continues to come up over and over again. Or maybe you found yourself in this position. You try to distract yourself from the sin. You try to, try to flee from the thoughts. Maybe you try to stay busy or you try to do something that will get your mind off of the situation. But the fact of the matter is it comes back. You cannot run away from it. In fact, it seems as if our sin continues to run us over, over and over again. And we just think about it and we groan along with David all day long. And if this wasn't bad enough, David goes on to say in verse four, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You remember the story of Moses? I don't know if the kids talked about this in BBS this week because they were talking about Ten Commandments, Moses, Israelites, Red Sea, all this stuff. But there was a time in Moses' Moses's life where he wanted to see God. And he asked to see God. And God said, you can't see me. You'll die. But God made a way for Moses to see him. He said, Moses, you go in the cleft of that rock there. You go hide in that rock. And you remember what he said? He said, I will cover you with what? I'll cover you with my hand. I'll cover you with my hand so that you don't die when I pass by. I'll cover and just let you see my backside. And even that, even in that, Moses was changed dramatically so that he would have to wear a veil over his face because when the people saw Moses, they were freaked out of what happened and what took place. And so you have this picture of God's great mercy and his grace on Moses. When Moses would ask for something that he didn't even understand, Moses, you can't handle this. But in, Moses, in, in God's grace, what he would do is he'd cover him with his hand. What David says here about God's hand is that God's hand is heavy upon me. Not, not the covering, not the, not, the, not the care of God's hand, but no, when we live our lives with sin unconfessed, it's as if God's hand that would save Moses' life is continually crushing mine because it's so heavy. As if I don't feel guilty enough in myself or embarrassed enough in myself of my sin, and I groan all day long about it, I also have God's hand there that is reminding me every Sunday when I walk through these doors and I sing these songs, that sin is in my mind. I just can't get over it. I just can't get past it. 
It's as if God's hand is just pushing down over and over again. David would say this would end up making me feel dried up. He says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This heavy weight of my sin, of our sin, that just makes us feel as dry as the summer heat, which we haven't experienced yet this year. But inside, we feel like we're wasting away. We feel completely malnourished. We might even ask questions like, when I go to church, I just don't feel it like I used to. Well, maybe it's the sin in our life that's not letting it happen. Unconfessed sin that we just will not give up, that we won't release. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of people, and this is what David is describing, we walk around and the outside of us looks great. It looks great. We seem to feel pretty good. We tell people we feel good, but we know. Maybe nobody else knows. Not our spouse, not our kids, not our best friend. Nobody knows, but we know on the inside, we feel dead. It feels, just as David says, it feels like my bones are wasting away. It feels like all day long it is nagging in my head and it's all that I can think about. And it feels like God's hand is just on me over and over and over again. It feels as if I'm in the desert in the middle of the summer and I am scorched. I can't take it. All I want, I come to church basically for a drink of water. I want to feel it, but I can't feel it. Why is that? Sin. It's sin. It's sin that's unconfessed. It's sin that we're just not willing to give up. And so I dare say that everybody in this room knows this feeling. First, I want to address those of you, though, who are not Christians. You've never been saved by the grace of God. You've never trusted by faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and in his resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. You, you've never done that. I dare say you in your life still have felt guilty for your sin, and it nags you. I dare say that you have gotten to the point into your life where you're like, I don't really know what to do with this. No matter what I do, it doesn't seem to make up for it. I mean, I bake cookies for the people that I send against. I say hi. I hold the door open. But yet still inside, I feel incomplete. It feels, it feels like I can't do enough to make up for it. And you're right. You can't. That's the point of what David is saying. You cannot do that on your own. You can't go to church enough. You can't be kind enough. You can't write enough letters to people. You, you just simply can't do it. It has to be done through the blood of Christ. Your sin needs to be covered. You see, when David would write this, what he is in his mind when he's talking about sin covering, being covered, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and ask for forgiveness for the nation. And the way that that would be done is there would be a sacrifice and the blood would be spread all over the Holy of Holies, but most importantly, over the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. And inside that Ark of the Covenant was the law. And that blood would cover up the law for people, for Israel, one more year. That's what David's thinking about when he says this. Your sin needs to be covered. Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came, we don't need the blood of goats and rams anymore. His sacrifice, his blood has covered the law for you completely. But the Bible says by faith, you must believe that. You must trust that. 
And so for those of you here this morning who've never trusted in that, you can today, and we'll get to it in a moment. But there are many of you here today who are saved. You have trusted in Christ. But yet, as I went through verses four, three and four, you know the feeling, and some of you are living through it at this very moment. You say, Pastor Tim, I feel like you are describing my life for the past few months. I feel completely wasted away. My bones feel so brittle. I feel like God's hand has been on me so strongly that I feel like I can't even take another breath. It hurts so bad. At one time, you know the forgiveness of God. You've, you've felt the weight lifted off. You, you've believed it. You've trusted in it. But yet you've allowed yourself to get back to a point to where you continue to bear the guilt and shame of sin, so much so that you are not willing because of your pride to go to God and say, God, here is my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. Because verse five is good news. You see, David puts a pause here. I can't remember what commentator I was reading. It was probably Spurgeon. But at the end of verse four, it says Selah. And it's almost like, according to Spurgeon, David is saying, all right, this is pretty tough. Take a break here. Pause here a second. Reflect on this. But breathe again, because get ready for verse five. And this is the good news for the sinner who hasn't trusted in Christ, but also for those of us who have, but yet we continue to sin. Are you ready for it? Verse five. David would say, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now, that's a big place to be. It seems to take us a lot of work to get to that point sometimes. You know, little sins. Oh, I just stole that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Forgive me, God. Or maybe something slipped out of your mouth real quick, a word that you normally don't say, you shouldn't say, and it's a quick, oops, sorry, type of thing. Those are easy to get by. But you just know there's some sins in your life that are just so embarrassing that it's a big step just to get to the point that David got here. I will confess my sin to you. I will not hide my iniquity anymore. But that's a vulnerable place. Because some of us have been taught that God is just angry all the time. And so when you go to him, what he's going to do is probably beat you. He's probably going to discipline you. He's probably going to show you how wrong you have been. I mean, that's what we think in our head. But that's not the God of scripture. Look what David says. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In all of David's sin, he had an affair with a woman. He took that woman as his own and she was married, and what did he do? He had him killed. Have any of you done that? Are any of you bearing that guilt today? Oh, David did. But yet when David went to the Lord to confess his sin to the Lord, what did he receive? He received full pardon. Absolute full forgiveness was given to David. If ever there was a man that shouldn't have got forgiveness, it was David in that moment. You say, but Pastor Tim, he was God's chosen he was the chosen king, yeah, and as the chosen king, this is what he did with his authority. This is what he did with his position. But yet, as he finally got the guts to go before God and to confess his sin, what did he receive? He receives forgiveness. And it's the same thing for you in your life. I don't care what sin you're holding on to. I don't care if the people around you will not forgive you. God will 
forgive you. The fact is, the people around you probably won't forgive you. Churches are filled of messed up people. We're filled of sinners, but we're also hypocrites and we're prideful. And we oftentimes like to think we're better than the next church member. And so you're definitely gonna run into that as you confess your sin to the Lord, as you seek forgiveness from other people, maybe for sins, you will run into that, but you will not run into that with God. He will forgive you because he promises he will forgive you. When forgiveness is sought, forgiveness is given. God will not turn you away. His mercy is 100% everlasting and his grace is completely thorough. It doesn't miss. It doesn't look past. It doesn't say, oh, I forgot that. No, it is completely 100% thorough. And if you're a Christian here this morning, listen, when you are saved by the grace of God, that sin that you are holding on to, he already forgave you of it. Why hold on to it? Why bear the shame? Why bear the guilt? Go to him and give him your burden. He is the burden bearer. And we're called to do that. This is why David would then call out and tell us to seek forgiveness. He calls out to the people to, to seek forgiveness now in verses six and seven. For those who do not know Christ, we see this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse one and two. Paul would say, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I can't tell you how many people I have heard say to me, now's not the time. Maybe when I have kids, maybe when they get a little older, maybe when I get to settle down, maybe when this happens, maybe when this happens, I want to say to you this morning, and you're gonna see the warning in verses six through seven. If you're here today and you are unsaved, you haven't trusted in Christ, today is the day of your salvation. No other day. Today is the day to believe. But for those of us who have been saved, like I said, we have the same calling. First John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It should be a regular practice for us as Christians to confess our sin. And so David, when he goes on there in verses six through seven, look, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is the good warning that I was just talking about found here, not to wait to seek after the Lord. David would say here, do it before the rush of great waters overtakes you. Now, boys and girls who are in VBS, this reminds me of the Red Sea. The Red Sea scenario, as they would, they would rush after the people of God to try to get them back into slavery and God would close the waters up over them and essentially saying, time is up. Time is up. There's no more time for salvation. There is no more hope for you. It is over. And we just don't know when our time is up. But we're told there will be a time when it's up. 
No more time for salvation. What remains for you is judgment. And judgment will come. The judgment day is coming. We have to be assured of that. We have to trust that because God's word tells us that. But for those who trust in the Lord, David says deliverance is theirs. He says, the Lord is my hiding place. You are my hiding, a hiding place for me, he says. This language here that David is using is intended to draw us in. We want to be in the hiding place. We don't want the rushing waters to overtake us. No, we want to we be in the hiding place where we're safe, where we are secure from that judgment, from that death. And it's there in the Lord. Him alone can this be found. Only in Christ can this comfort be there for us. Then as we get to verses eight and nine, these are interesting verses. Because it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near to you. Throughout history, and even currently, most commentators would say what's happening here is there a shift in the language. This is actually God speaking here in verse eight. It's not David anymore. It's God. It's God saying, I will instruct you. I will teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What we have here is the promise of God is that as we get forgiveness of our sins by him, through him, what we also get is we also get the promise that he will instruct us, that he will train us, that he will make us what we need to be. We just sang that song a little bit ago. We, we sang this song kind of as a prayer saying, make me into the image of your son, into your likeness. As we approach your word this morning, mold me and make me into your likeness. That is what God has promised for his children. We will be molded and made into his image. But then we do have this warning. There is this warning here in verse nine. Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. How foolish can we really be to not listen and obey God after all that he has done when it comes to the forgiveness of our sins? I mean, that just doesn't make sense at all. There's no common sense in that whatsoever to approach God and say, I believe in Jesus and everything you're saying about him. And I believe you're going to make me righteous through him. And that one day I'll spend eternity with you. We believe all that stuff. But then we turn around and say, yeah, but I'm not going to obey your word like that. I just really don't like to read. You tell me I got to read the Bible? Come on. I got to read that thing? I mean, Sunday's my only day to sleep in. You're telling me I'm supposed to gather with a church? <sighs> Whatever. That just doesn't make any sense. Have you ever been around somebody or some situation that just completely doesn't make sense? I find myself in that situation every day with my kids. You just stare at them and you're like, what? Did you really say that? Or did you really just do that? I mean, you'll watch them punch the other person. Why'd you do that? What? They're like, you didn't see it. I didn't do that. Yes, you did. I watched, I watched you do it. I even got a video. I was videotaping you guys play and then you punched them. No, no, that's not me. I mean, it's just complete ignorance, isn't it? And it's frustrating. It's no different than us. Seeking God's forgiveness, receiving God's forgiveness, and then saying, yeah, but I don't really want to obey these things you're telling me to do. 
That doesn't make any sense. This is not who we are as Christians. As Christians, we are followers of Christ. We follow his word with everything we are, with everything that we have. We follow his will. We follow his commands because we know that that is the absolute best thing to do for us and to glorify him. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. You know, it's interesting in church culture. I think things are actually shifting from what it was not too long ago. Not too long ago, you could get people to volunteer for things, but you couldn't get their money. They didn't want to give money ever. They, they were just, it was just so tight. And I remember doing budget presentations and people saying, if everybody in our church would just give this much money, this is how much money we would have. Everything would be paid off. And there was these appeals all the time. Please give us, you know, please give money. The Bible says you're supposed to give offerings and tithes to the church. Like it's a biblical thing. It would be harped on over and over and over again. And there's many people, you've probably heard them before. I'm not going to church because they're just going to ask for my money. Well, I found over the past couple of years, people give their money. They give their money. Through COVID as a church, our money, it's went down a little bit, but not a ton. Now, that doesn't mean stop giving. But when you think of everything that changed, we don't even pass an offering plate anymore. We even stopped saying, hey, come forward and give your offering during the song, but yet money still comes in. People give money. But you know what people don't give anymore? Time. People hate giving their time. People would much rather hand me a $50 bill than hand me 30 minutes of their time. It's just how it is. But if God really gives us forgiveness like this, why would we not obey him with everything? Our money, our time, our talents, our abilities, our skills, our whole life to the one who can actually grant forgiveness and for some reason gave it to me. He deserves my everything. And so we see in scripture these different commands. I'm gonna read a command for you and this is a command from the New Testament. You, you can't tell me, Pastor Tim, that is an Old Testament command because I'm taking it from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Are you ready? You shall be holy because I am holy. As a Christian, you are called to be holy. Now, we can get all theological on it and I'm, I'm glad to do that. As a Christian, you are holy because Jesus Christ is perfectly holy and that can't be taken away from you. But God still calls for us and demands from us as his children to go and live holy lives. Live a holy life. And we have all of these words that he gives us like in the fruit of the spirit that are supposed to describe us as Christians. And really, you can go through that list and really ask yourself, does this describe me? If I were to die today, is this what they're writing in the obit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the obit of a Christian, of a faithful, holy Christian. Does that describe you, Christian? Does that describe what people see with your online persona? Oh, you might have a different name than your real name, but we all know it's you. We know it's you. Is this the life that you live? This is the life that we are called to live. We are saved by grace. We are given the Holy Spirit who then enables us to do good works, who enables us to live out a holy life, to do the things that we are called to do. 
And so thus, as Christians, we strive to be holy. Why? Because we can be holy through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be holy because we've been forgiven. We can be holy. Why? Because we've been made righteous in Christ and he is holy. And I bear him, he in me. David moves on, verse 10, we're almost done. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. David reminds us here very briefly again of the dangers that the wicked face. We've already talked about the rushing waters going over them. We've already talked about the pain of bearing this guilt and this shame for a lifetime. David says, sorrow is their life and sorrow is their fate. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I really think that's what weighs in the balance as you decide if you're gonna walk out of these doors without trusting in Christ or what. Do you want a life of joy that only he can give? Or do you wanna walk out of these doors living a life of sorrow and fate forever? Because apart from Christ, there is no joy. There's no true everlasting joy. And David reminds us of this here at the end. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but thankfully he doesn't leave us there. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. This steadfast love is the exact same word we talked about last week, if you remember, the hesed love of the Lord, a covenantal, relational love that God has given his people. It's a love of mercy and it's a love of grace. And to be honest, it's a love that's one-sided. It's a, it's a love that he has chosen to pour out on you. This is the steadfast love of the Lord. And this is the appeal to us as Christians, to you, brother, or you, sister, who's sitting there today in your sin, just wrestling with it over and over and over again. Understand the hesed love of the Lord is still upon you. Just forgive, just seek forgiveness and he will forgive. As we understand this, it leads to the very last verse. And some might think, you know, the psalmist, what they did, they just always ended with worship because that's what you do in a psalm. No, I think that as we understand the truths of this psalm, the only thing we can do, the only thing that David could do, could bring himself to do after understanding his sin, after understanding that when he goes to God for forgiveness, it's there. All that he can do in the end is verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The only thing we can do is we grasp forgiveness and that it's given to us through Christ is to worship the one who forgives us, is to worship him, be glad in him, rejoice in him, shout for joy in him. That is all that we can do. You see, this word blessed that we've been talking about all this time is, is happy. There's a couple of words for blessed, and this one's more emotive. It's, it's like a happiness, a joy that we have because we are his and that he, is, that he has taken us and that he has forgiven us. And so we are, we are blessed means we are, we are happy in him continually. This is what it means to be a Christian. We are happy in him regardless of our circumstances. We're happy in him regardless of what's going on in the world and our society and all these different things. We are happy in him because we know he is enough because he has forgiven us of our sin. The happy then follow him with their life 
each and every day, every step of the way, and the happy worship him forever. Now, to close, I guess I want to be honest and truthful with you. It's hard for me, it's impossible for me every day to live out verse 11, if I'm being honest. To be glad and rejoice and shout for joy. I mean, I don't shout for joy for anything, ever. It just doesn't happen. I don't think really scripture's telling us we should be running around like crazy people, shouting for joy all the time, expressing this all the time. But I do think what we're being asked to do here is to understand the whole situation that we are in. To understand who I really am apart from Christ and then who he has made me in Christ. And when I can get a good grasp of that, when God has shown me that and helps me to see that and hold on to that, what I have found in my walk with the Lord, I've been saved now for 30 years. What I have found, I haven't become like really superior intellectually or anything like that. But I have found God has given me a peace in almost all situations that I just can't explain apart from actually knowing who I am in him. That when calamity strikes, it doesn't destroy me because I know calamity is going to strike. I live in a world of sin. I sin. I know that that's going to happen. But when I begin to grasp the truth that God will not let me go, that no matter what this world does to me, no matter, it can kill me. I am his and he is mine forever. His steadfast love is upon me forever. And I cannot lose that because of my dumbness. I've gained it because of his greatness. And I can't lose that. It's on me forever. And that's the same for you as a Christian. It is yours forever. And this is why then verse 11 can be true in our life. Even if our face looks pouty and we're struggling through the day, yet inside we know today stinks, but I am his and he is mine and I am happy in him. I'm living the life that he wants me to live. And if this is the path and this is what's gonna happen, praise him for his greatness and for his goodness. This is a good psalm, a psalm of confession, of acknowledging our sin and of being able to worship him. But you might not be able to worship him if you walk out these doors this morning and you don't acknowledge your sin. You will continue to be weighed down. You will continue to be crushed. And so I want to encourage you as we sing this last song, this is a time to always reflect on God's word and to respond to God's word however you see fit. I think for some of us today, it needs to be a time of confession, to confess our sins to the Lord, to repent of our sin, but also to realize forgiveness has been given to us so that we can leave praising and worshiping our good God who continues to forgive. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. God, we have sinned. We fall short continually, but God, I'm thankful that the blood of Christ never fails. The blood of Christ that washes away all sin. God, I do pray for that person here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. 
God, I pray that today you would open their eyes to that truth, that you would save them, that by faith they would believe in Christ. And God, then this truth would be in their life. Your word tells us you will forgive them. You will not turn them away. So God, I pray that there'd be people here this morning who would do that. God, I also pray for those brothers and sisters in the Lord who are here today, who gather together so often in this room. God, that they would no longer be held down by guilt and shame that they continue to put on themselves because of unconfessed sin. God, help them to be willing to fall on their face before you and to confess their sin, understanding that you will not turn them away, that you are a good father who will forgive them again and again and again. So God, help us as Christians to live the life that you call us to live. Help us to be faithful to those mundane tasks that you call us to that so often we overlook. God, so often we try to think of the big things that maybe we can do. God, help us to be faithful in those little things that you call us to. Help us to be people who bear the fruits of the Spirit so that others will see that. They might not understand it, God, help us to live that way by the power of the Holy Spirit, to have peace, to be kind, to be gentle, but to stand for your truths. So God, deal with our hearts this morning in a way that only you can, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.